This is Surviving Ministry, conversations designed to help you last longer and grow stronger in ministry. I'm your host, Seth Stevens. We're too wise to do that now, but the Lord used it in that time uh, to draw people that wouldn't have been attracted otherwise. How do we, one, teach them and train them in a specific way that they need, and then how do we utilize their gifts in the church? And we got to a place where we needed help for everything. And if this is where God's called me, he's going he's gonna to give the grace for us to go through it. In my fifth episode of Surviving Ministry, I'm going to be talking with my friend Jason. And because he lives in a semi-sensitive area, I'm not going to be as detailed on his background and what's going on. But we will talk about how South Park influenced a revival he was involved in in West Virginia. We'll talk about ministering to senior adults. We'll talk about discipleship in multiple settings. We'll talk about how he has a passion for equipping the church, as well as his experience church planning in an international setting and the difficulties and challenges and joys that come with that. Here we go. I'm here with my friend uh, Jason, who is uh, doing some work overseas. He's uh, I've, I've known him for uh, a little while. He he uh, worked with a discipleship organization uh, that I knew about, and now is uh, pastoring an international church uh, overseas in Asia. Uh, I have him on just to kind of ask him about his journey in ministry and and how he got here. Uh, Jason, thanks so much for being on the show. Yeah, man, thanks for having me. Now. Um, when did you come to Christ? I became a believer at the end of my senior year of high school, so 1999. And uh, who kind of led you to Christ? It was largely through the uh, witness of a friend of mine named Garrett Kell, who's actually a pastor now in Alexandria, Virginia, of a church there called Delray Baptist Church. So Garrett and I went to high school together, used to party together, and he was the one that kind of came and shared the gospel with me. Gotcha. And then... Um from that point, what kind of led you in ministry? What was your path in ministry uh, to where you are right now? Sure. Yeah. So I was. I was. It was a big part of my testimony. I was. I was wrestling. Kind of my life revolved around sports and yeah. parties and popularity. Got and, the cauliflower ear. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I had all that going on. And and so I went to college. Uh, was wrestling at West Virginia University oh, wow. and um, had a. a stress fractured vertebrae Ooh. that kind of knocked me out. I was a believer at that point, but I, I honestly, I was struggling with the Christian athlete thing. Yeah. Some people do that really well. Uh, for me, I think so much of my flesh was wrapped up in my athletic drive yeah. that once I became a believer, my identity really wasn't there anymore. And so I think I, I was finding my identity elsewhere. And, and again, people do a great job of that. I was just really struggling with it. Yeah. And I was a Christian at that point, and I was involved with the campus ministry a little bit, as much as I could while mm-hmm. I was wrestling. But when I got injured, that really allowed, I think the Lord used that to direct me more full-time towards towards Christian ministry. And so I just loved it. I was... I was Change, kept changing my major because I started out and <laughs> yeah. I started out, I picked my major before I became a Christian and, and I was in physical therapy because I wanted to mm-hmm. be around sports and I wanted to make money. Those, yeah. those were my things. And and then once I became a Christian I, I, and, and 
getting my hours in PT, I realized that wasn't where the Lord was leading mm-hmm. me. So then I switched to education. I was going to be a football coach and a wrestling yeah. coach and teach. And then the more I was doing ministry, the more I, I, I realized I was going to be unhappy doing anything else. Now, yeah. I totally get it. We're all in ministry, right? We're all called to, in a sense, we're all called to be living Great Commission lifestyle, evangelism, yeah. discipleship. That's the that's not a special call on full-time mm-hmm. occupational ministers. That's a call on Christians. But for me, it was, I, I realized if, if I'm not giving all of my time yeah. towards this, I think I'd be frustrated because I, that's how much I was I was loving it and into it yeah. just in college. And so I think starting my sophomore year, junior year in college, I knew that I was going to be in full-time occupational ministry. I didn't know exactly what or where, but I knew that. Backing up a little bit, yeah. uh, what were some of the ministries that you tried out or started doing that made you start discovering like, oh, hey, I really enjoy this. I'm, I'm really excited about that. Yeah. And w- what type of t- opportunities did you have? What did you realize? Hey, these are the type of ministries I enjoy. I'm not quite as good at this type sure. of thing. Yeah. Well, so right, it's, kind of, it's kind of a funny story because right out of the gate, so small town, West Virginia. Yeah. And when I became a believer, and so people kind of talked, like people knew this mm-hmm. guy, my friend Garrett, and me from, we'd throw all the big parties and we were the athletes and we did, you know, whatever. People knew us for those things. Mm-hmm. And when we both became Christians, there was kind of a little bit of a, like, hey, what did you guys hear what happened with Jason? Did you guys yeah. hear what happened with Garrett? And so we decided to uh, put on um, a revival. I was a revivalist in my oh, early wow. days as a believer. <laughs> and so we put on Christ Night Revival in our hometown and... Uh, borrowed this church one night and I think the church I mean, you, you're saying like we're having a revival in West Virginia I'm almost imagining like snake handling oh, and you stuff should. like that <laughs> yeah so not that night I don't think any of that happened but was but it was funny because we didn't know we didn't have, we didn't have Christian friends we didn't yeah. you know we didn't know Christians growing up necessarily and so, so you're doing this kind of in a vacuum yeah and the only, the only, and so we wanted to make a flyer. This is one of the funny kind of side stories from that. We wanted to make a flyer for the thing, and we only knew one guy who was into graphic design, and he mm-hmm. he wasn't a believer. And but we asked him. We said, "Hey, we wanna we wanna have this thing." And he said, "What you know? What what theme are you going for?" And we're like, "Ah, you know, it's kind of like Jesus fighting Satan. Let's you know, we're gonna <laughs> whatever." And so the flyer comes yeah. out, and Garrett and I look at it, and we, we man, this looks awesome. Mm-hmm. So we run it in the the town news weekly newspaper. We put it in storefronts all around the city. And then all these letters start pouring into the editor of our little small town newspaper accusing us of blasphemy. I didn't even know if that was good or bad at the time, you know? (laughs) And so accusing us of sacrilege. And I'm like, what is everybody so mad about? was because the flyer was the South Park Jesus with boxing gloves on oh. on the front of the same book. But we saw it and we're like, There's, that's great. That's the best flyer I've ever seen. But the, 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 I think that now we're too wise to do that now. Yeah. But the Lord used it in that time yeah. uh, to draw people that wouldn't have been attracted have otherwise. Normally. And so the church held. Both, both for and against That's it. right. That's right. <laughs> But it, it, to date, it's probably the only thing I've been to in a church that was 80% non-Christian. Mm. And, pe- and people were angry at us for, I mean, people were, you know, you stabbed us in the back, you're turning away, you're not, you know, running like with the, us anymore. the unbelievers yeah. are yeah. upset you're yeah. betraying them by going to Christianity? Oh, yeah. Okay. And so we lost some friendships over that, oh. and uh, and so people were, were angry. And so we, we shared the gospel. So all that to say, to answer your question, kind of getting up and t- 
talking about telling my testimony, sharing the gospel yeah. to groups. That was something that we just saw from the beginning. The Lord was using that. Not not that we should have been given a stage and a microphone at that yeah. at that time, but for whatever reason we were, and the Lord was using that, and people were coming to faith. And then uh, so that was that was at a church. It was standing room only. And then we did another one the next year at the high school gymnasium. You know, seven hundred people came wow. to it, and and so we we did. Th- three of those. So I think somebody's still doing them. I heard there was like oh, wow. a Christ Crazy. night 10 a couple years ago. We did the first three. Anyway, I don't, I don't know what's going on with that now, but so we did that right away. And then when I went to college, because I was coming out of kind of the, the background I was coming out of, I was going to one of the top party schools in the nation, mm-hmm. which again was one of the reasons I wanted to go there. And I just knew, I said, man, I'm going to, I'm going to die. Yeah, I'm just going to, it's going to be really hard for me if I don't get good Christians around me immediately. Mm-hmm. So I found a church right away and got involved with Campus Crusade right away. I went I, I went to probably eight or 10 different campus Christian organizations, checked them all out, ended up going yeah. to FCA because I was wrestling, and then uh, Campus Crusade, landed with Crew. And so saw so that. So What'd you like about Crew? You're the, same, the previous interview I did right before you, they talked about Crew, and the, they were just brought back to Christ through Crew's min- ministry. Sure. You know, I loved the, well, at the time, I loved kind of the energy of it. Yeah. There was a, this weekly meeting, and, and there was, for me, it was actually, it was, I was with people, I was with peers, and I was, it was a Christian thing where I was having fun. Yeah. And everybody wasn't making decisions that they were going to regret the next day. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know, I didn't know that in my life. I didn't know fun in a in somewhat of a wholesome Christian yeah. way, and so for me, I, I was adulterated. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And so I was really attracted to that. That these people have a joy in their life that I've always I've always had this kind of fake joy in mm-hmm. the stuff that I've been pursuing in in a sense a little bit. But I see these people who are really joyful and love the Lord and uh, don't need all the other things to medicate. And so. Mm. So I was attracted to that. I was attracted to the energy of it and, and uh, the mission of it. So obviously the, the way that um, Crusade was is really good at evangelism and discipleship, mm-hmm. and so that was really helpful. And so, and I didn't, and then looking back, all the, all the things I, all the ways that the Lord grew me after that, that I didn't even know was going to happen walking in, but mm-hmm. I and mean, that's where I learned how to share my faith. That's where I learned how to give a talk in an yeah. intel- intelligible way. Um, that's where I learned uh, to, to disciple people. I learned missions. There's just there's so many things that I still go back to now and are drawing on. But those was my early days with Crusade that that really were really helpful in forming a lot of those things in my life. I had great a great a couple great disciplers. So yeah. that, those were all things that I still look back on. I mean, I was in I was in school four years. So I went to four fall retreats, four spring break mission trips, uh, three over uh, three summer projects. Yeah, uh, I just did everything that was available just because I just it loved it. Yeah, awesome. So uh, then you know, coming out of that, um, you you kind of realized in the midst of changing your major and all that stuff, you wanted to go into full time ministry. Mm-hmm. How did you pursue that after graduation? Yeah, so I there was a, a men's discipleship program. So at the time, I'd gotten on a kind of an audio, it was a cassette, audio cassette tape list of a pastor in Texas, yeah. and I was just really eating up those sermons mm-hmm. because again, I didn't grow, I didn't, I didn't grow up reading the Bible, I didn't grow up with this background, so I, I was, I was kind of lost um, mm-hmm. regarding biblical literacy and yeah. some things like that. And so, so I was just, I, I needed as much help, and I, I got onto a tape list. Um, from this pastor in Texas, and I was just listening to everything that he put out, and I was just 
learning a lot from that mm-hmm. and found out that he did a, a year-long men's discipleship program. Yeah. And I said, man, I want to go. If I can go sit under this guy and study and learn more, that's that's what I would like to do. He was just really committed to truth and teaching uh, the Bible. And so and so I was actually committed to do that, but then Campus Crusade challenged me to, to recruit a team and go open up a campus ministry overseas first. Mm-hmm. And so um, the Lord through... Are you allowed to say where that was? East Asia. Okay. Same, same context I'm in now. And so... We uh, so I went over there and started helped start a little campus ministry. I mean, this was a long time ago; it was 2003, yeah. and so did that for two years. Um, so I was a campus director there of a campus ministry, and then moved to to Texas to do this men's program. Did that for a year, and and mainly it was just because I knew I wanted to do full time ministry, but I knew I needed more equipping and training first, more biblical yeah. knowledge. And so I all I, I thought as far as this men's program, that's all the further I thought. Mm-hmm. But it was just in, knew the next step. That's right. Yeah, and then it. But it was in that program that year that I. I it hit me that man. I. I want even more. I was. Mm-hmm. It was. It was like a kid in a candy wet, store. Wet your appetite. Yeah, that's right. And so, and that was a natural feeder from there into seminary too. A lot of people would go from that men's program into seminary, and mm-hmm. so uh, I went from there into Dallas Theological Seminary um, to to pursue a THM degree. So yeah, so that was kind of what. Got all the Greek and Hebrew. That's right. (laughs) Now, um, kind of um, compare that mentorship program to like going to a seminary. What did, like, what did it provide? Like, how would you distinguish the two to somebody Mm -hmm. who would be maybe trying to think through, should I go to a mentorship like that or should I go to a church? Uh, Mm -hmm. in, In your context and experience, you know, what are the, advantages of each one and what Mm -hmm. did you really, what what did you enjoy? What challenged you in those contexts? Yeah, good question. I I think uh, in gap year programs in general Mm -hmm. are, and we didn't call it that then, I didn't call it a gap year, but it was kind of even doing anything like that, getting a little bit more experience under your belt, I think is always helpful. I mean, I've talked to seminary seminary professors, typically say non-traditional students are are typically their favorite. Yeah. They they kind of know what questions, not not that one-year gap program makes you a non-traditional student, but the more experience somebody has, I think the better questions you're asking, the more you know what you don't know uh, going into it. So I think there's a little bit there with anybody who's going to take a year and go learn somewhere. So that's one uh, one point. Uh, Another thing would be that for me, it was, I do think going into seminary, there there was a little bit of assumption of a baseline of knowledge yeah. that not every new Christian has, and I mm-hmm. certainly didn't. So it, it helped get you up to speed a little bit. Yep, yeah, that's right. So I, I, I went into seminary now feeling actually a little bit ahead of the game yeah. uh, versus feeling like I'm, I'm behind the pack. Uh, not a competition, but I, I just, yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm trying to k- play catch up here, and I don't know what I'm doing as far as yeah. writing and studying. And, and so a, a year-long program like that that's really going to help walk through Bible and discipleship and mm-hmm. theology and church history and some things like that r- kind of gave me, I, I felt like, a leg up to where I, I don't know what my first year of seminary would have been like without, without yeah. having gone through that first. And so that was, that was really helpful. And then uh, the program I did wasn't, uh, you, you know, you had discipleship groups. It mm-hmm. wasn't as much of being mentored by, by a senior pastor, but there are those yeah. out there as well where you're kind of in the hip pocket of somebody and going to elders meetings and going to these different things. And I just think those are helpful because then I think you're, you're wa- again, you're walking into seminary, you're walking into further education, um, and you've, you've seen decisions. You know what the work's going to be like. Yeah, you know what the work's going to be like and you know what questions you need answered. Mm-hmm. 
And so you've, you've been in a, in a room where you've seen elders trying to make a decision and people are scratching their head. Yeah. You've seen disagreements over church polity. You've seen premarital counseling or some counseling situation. So you've seen some of those things to where you're like, yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. And I, yeah. I can't wait to go find out, have somebody help me walk through that. Yeah, and there's some counseling class questions I would ask if I went back now. Yeah, for it's sure. like, yeah. uh, what do you do with this right. situation? Right. Yeah. yeah, so that actually never stops, right? I still yeah. have those questions. <laughs> now, like, man, if I could go back to seminary again, it would be... Just would, need a professor in your back that's pocket. Right. Yep, <laughs> yep. Yeah, so those are some of the benefits, I would say, of, of doing a program like that. Okay, so um, went to seminary. Were you doing any type of ministry while you were going through seminary? What were you involved I was, in? I was, I was the associate director to senior adults at my church. And fellow, fellow senior adult that's minister. Right, that's right. And I wouldn't trade it for the world. Yeah. I, whenever I was, I wanted, because I had no knowledge of how a local church mm-hmm. worked. I, I knew tons about parachurch. Yeah. But going into seminary, I knew zero about local church. And so... Was the mentorship program you went through, was that a church-related yeah, it activity? Was. So okay. that was the first year where I was finally getting, I was getting, getting a, a taste bit. for it and okay. growing a love for it. Okay. But then I, but I wasn't working for the church. I was, yeah. you know, I was kind of an intern or a kind of a volunteer for ministries and stuff like that. But then I said, man, I, I want to work at a church while mm-hmm. I'm going through seminary. I think it's going to help me unpack everything I'm learning. It's and, just a different beast than parachurch. Yeah. There's like different expectations, different interactions. Sure. Um, yeah, I've, I've, I've made a similar transition. Mm-hmm. And it's just, it's just different. Right. And I have, I mean, nothing but love for parachurch yeah. ministries. I think they do yeah, a great yeah. job, but it's, yeah, there's some difference there. And so I wanted, I wanted to work for a church, and I want, and I didn't want to leave my church if mm-hmm. at all possible because I had relationships there and really loved it. And but I went to went to the office and asked if there were any job openings. And specifically, I, I wanted to work with college students. Yeah. I wanted to work in the college ministry, and that's what you know. That was my background. That's what I thought I was going to do after seminary. And they said, "Well, there's no the the college ministry isn't hiring, but the senior adult ministry is hiring." Mm-hmm. And I said, "Oh, so I, I was like, all right, well, I'll apply for that." And yeah. uh, so that, was was that your initial emotional reaction to it? My well, I had a good same guy that had led me to the Lord. Garrett yeah. had volunteered with that ministry, that oh, okay. same ministry, year, a few years earlier, and he had told me. He said anybody who is going, wants to be a senior pastor should have some experience, uh, either volunteering or working with this age group mm-hmm. before you get in. It's just it's. What it's, was his reasoning behind that? His reasoning was that you uh, one, it, it can be a very um, humbling ministry. It can be a, a very encouraging ministry. Mm-hmm. Um, it's going to develop you in a way that other ministries you could be involved with aren't going to develop you. Yeah. So, so for instance, I you know if you you have two guys coming out of seminary who on paper are exactly the same, but one guy has five years of youth ministry experience, and one guy has five years of young adults or senior adults or something like that. Yeah. I'm, not, I'm not saying this is the way it should be, but I saw time and time again with my peers who were graduating seminary with me mm-hmm. were hearing from churches. They wanted to be pastors, and churches were saying, get some experience with adults, and then let's talk. Yeah. And again, I'm, I'm not saying that's fair. I'm not saying that's right, but I just think that's reality that that it does. Uh, working with an older group, it helped me figure out how do, how do I... How do I speak to older people? Mm-hmm. What does it look like to not quickly rebuke an older man? Yeah. Uh, what does it look like to try to do cross generational ministry? Um, how how you know 
what what are the hopes and fears? What, yeah. You have to do a funeral. I'm not doing a whole lot of those in other minutes. So I'm, yeah. you know, funerals. You're you're thinking. So there's a I've lot of about things. Forty in three years. Yeah, and it's like I I can do it now, but that's also emotionally. It, it, it like forces you to have a different type of emotional resiliency because there's these people you grow close to and That's love right. and then you got to bury them. Yeah. Kind of going back to what you were saying about humility, I think also there's like a, you know, a 90-year-old patriarch of our church mm-hmm. and she sits in in a Sunday school class and at times a Sunday evening service that I'm in. And I like asked her one time, I'm like, look you've been studying the Bible for like longer than I've been alive. You know, what are you, what are you doing listening to somebody yeah. like me? And she's just like, well, you know, the, the word of God always has more stuff for you. Uh, yeah. And she also, she told me this story. She said, um, I think it was through, through Young Life, she, she kind of had her Christian formation. And she said, you know, I was going through Young Life and I knew I was supposed to enjoy reading my Bible and studying my Bible. And, um, but I didn't. And she said, I didn't. And like, if anybody at our church knew that this lady said there was a time she didn't like studying the Bible, like their jaws would drop. <laughs> and and she said, uh, so I went to my young life leader and asked him about it. And he said, well, you should, uh, he said, have you prayed about it? She said, no, I've just been trying to read it and I don't enjoy it. And she says, well, he said, well, uh, you should pray that God would help you to enjoy reading the Bible. And she said, that night I went home and I prayed. Lord, make me enjoy reading the Bible as much as I enjoy eating ice cream. <laughs> she said, and he answered that prayer, yes. And so I think you're right. Like it's humbling. Yeah. Like you're, you're teaching people who've been studying the Bible longer than you. Uh, in those times, you like really appreciate what seminary has to offer. Sure. Yep. And then, uh, you know, there are other things I think of like they're, they're more gracious I think about the people in youth ministry. I remember when I was like going through youth ministry, yeah. I never like thanked a teacher or right. gave them a gift yeah. or, you know, yeah. and these people are just so generous and kind. Every sermon is the best sermon they've ever heard. Like <laughs> yeah. in the, where I was working, I was just like, that was the greatest thing, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> which it wasn't. There's no way it was, yeah. but, you know, they were just so gracious. <laughs> They're very, very gracious. Yeah. And then, um, yeah, and then you also learn it doesn't matter how good your message is if people can't hear you. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Learn to project. Yeah, yeah. So you, you're involved in this, and you actually did some interesting things. I think I remember hearing you talk to me about uh, how you got you the youth to mix intergenerationally mm-hmm. with the with the seniors. Yeah, yeah. So we, I just started thinking through. We have this senior generation. How how do we really? You know, I, I don't think senior adult ministry should be. Let's just entertain older mm-hmm. people, and yeah. you know, it, it should no ministry should be that. So how do we? How do we want? teach them and train them in a specific way that they need. And then how do we utilize their gifts in the church? Mm-hmm. And then how do we, how do we connect? So I, I was driving to seminary one day with the uh, a carpooled with the guy who was the youth director. Yeah. And this was right when Nintendo Wii had just come out mm-hmm. and we're driving and uh, to seminary. And I was trying to, I'd, I'd been grappling with this. How do, how can I connect the older generation with the younger generation? And as we're driving, he just mentions, uh, and other part of the backstory is that nursing homes were buying Nintendo Wii's off the shelf. Like get people stay active, active bowling, yeah. you know, yeah. tennis. I mean, it, they were just flying off the shelves into nursing homes, and so there was that reality. And we're driving to, to seminary. It still hadn't hit me until we we're driving, and he says, "Man, I can't get my junior high boys to stop playing video games long enough to go do <laughs> ministry." And I said, "Oh my goodness!" I said, "Hey, what if we mobilize uh, junior high boys to take their Nintendo Wii's into nursing homes and play?" 
we with nursing in. And he was like, mm-hmm. that's a fantastic idea. And so we did it. We started doing that. And so we would have uh, on Saturdays or whatever, we would have a, a group of, of uh, junior high guys would go out to different nursing homes and just engage. And, and we would coach. We would I, we would coach the seniors on how to kind of speak to the to the the junior high students. And we'd coach the junior high students on how to speak, you know, ask yeah. about the Great Depression. Yeah. Like ask about World War II. Ask yeah. about how God has grown them and what, how they've seen his grace and their lives over decades of life. And so we coached them in conversation a little bit, but it got to where we started doing in the fellowship hall at our church we would host nintendo wii bowling tournaments mm-hmm. and we would have we'd have projectors on the wall we'd have eight ten lanes going of, yeah. of you know of wii bowling so we did that another thing that we did was um we had these these older retired men who um and then we had a bunch of people uh, younger kind of college age or maybe young young adults who maybe didn't have a father figure who had taught them how to uh hang a drywall anchor mm-hmm. or how do you fix a, a leaky pipe or how do you, how do you, uh, change the battery in your car? How do you, how do you, how do you do these things? And so yeah. we started doing, and we would on uh, Saturday, we would block off the church parking lot and we would do a home and auto, um, thing. And so we'd have, and so we would just, we would have different, uh, senior adults and they would make little fake sections of drywall with studs yeah. on a swivel. And they'd bring it and set it in, and you could see the back of it and the front of it, and they'd tell people how to find a stud and how to hang a, you know, just very practical things. So we would we were utilizing some of the wisdom of the older generation to, to disciple and practical life skills, some of the younger generation. So, yeah, we did, we did some things like that that were fun, and Lord yeah. used it, I think. Who won in the Wii tournament? Oh, gosh, I don't remember. <laughs> I do not remember that. <laughs> probably probably the junior high kids. The junior high kids. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, like, uh, what were some of your takeaways from from seminary? What did you in, enjoy in that? What challenged you in that? Man, that's a good question. It's been a while since I've I've thought about some of my my takeaways uh, from from there. That's a good question. Um, You know, I think one of the the Lord just continued to to create a a burden in me for for theological truth and then communicating that mm-hmm. and um, yeah, some of the some of my favorite class. I, I was a, a kind of a double. I was a historical theology major mixed with world, world missions, mm. and so uh, Jonathan Edwards seminar. I still yeah. just go back to Edwards on religious affections and on charity and its fruits and uh, on uh, motive in the Christian life. Mm-hmm. I go back to John Owen's seminar on fighting sin. And I'm still, those are some of the very formative foundational um, things and uh, thinking through affection for for Jesus and what does it look like to grow my affection for Jesus and weaken my affection for the world? Uh, what does it look like to fight sin and repent well? Um, these are things as a pastor now that that are just that, I mean, it's almost daily that you're in conversations where those things are are relevant. And so those were, those were really kind of some of the formative, helpful things for me was, you know, learning some of those and uh, internalizing yeah, them and teaching them. Rightly ordering your loves and emotions is is huge, and we mm-hmm. live in such a world where there's just disorder, there's chaos, there's 
there's no thought even I feel like in our very much in our context of what is a desire and emotion that I should mortify or put to death Mm -hmm. and what is a a, an emotion I should you know foster and grow Mm -hmm. I think it's all whatever emotions I have I'm gonna feed it I'm gonna pursue it right um what do you think of you mentioned this a little bit, like uh, driving with your buddy and then some of the other uh, ministry you've done. Uh, it kind of sounds like you enjoy collaborative ministry, kind of talking with other people. How has collaboration played a part in the ministries you've been a part of? Yeah, it's been... I think I had a good model for that when I was working at the church yeah. um, that the guy I worked for there was no turf war with him, mm-hmm. with any other ministries. Where I've, so I've, sad that exists. I know. Even. And I've been in places where that's been nobody will will help with another ministry, even in oh, the well. same church. I'm not even Can't talking about wait. churches again, but like, you know, you just have, hey, this is, we're doing this, and this is where our, our volunteers are yeah. to do this. And and so I, I, was, I was really encouraged by him. He actually, in my job description, uh, gave me two hours a week to work with another ministry in the church. Mm. So two of my paid hours every week were to work in another ministry. And that's kind of token, yeah. but it's it was communicating something that, mm-hmm. hey, we're a part of something larger here. And I've continued, I've, I've done that with people on my staff I've, since then, that I do the exact same thing. I, I want, there's going to be... Cross-pollination. Yeah, there's going to be two yeah. hours for you to, to do something, you know, and t- trying to help people see the, a bigger picture of that. And so I've always had, you know, kind of that, you know, I've had fortunate to have people really value that and, and help me see how to do that well, I think. And and so I was hoping that obviously being uh, here um, in Memphis, whenever whenever I lived here, there was a lot of that that happened between churches even mm-hmm. uh, where there were, there were some uh, really good things. Obviously in Memphis, there's a lot of nonprofits and a lot of organizations that yeah. are made up of people from a bunch of different churches. And I think that's just a great realization of, Hey, there's, there's certain things that we can just do better together. And, and, um, even we might not agree on all, on everything, every, yeah. uh, every, uh, finer point of doctrine and theology, but we can, we can do certain things together. So, so it was really helpful being in Memphis and, and seeing the way that, that churches worked together, local churches worked together towards, towards good things. So we've seen that, um, and in my time in, in Asia now, we have a, an association of churches that we mm-hmm. work together to run an internship program because none of our churches has the resources in and of themselves yeah. to, to do the internship. So we kind of own it together and resource it together. We put on two conferences and two retreats every year together mm-hmm. um, out of our budgets and we give towards it. We rent an office space and try to build a theological library and work on translation projects together and we do that mm-hmm. together. That's so awesome. I think I've, uh, that's something the Lord has, has uh, definitely taught me about it. I think as a pastor, I've learned more and more that that there are concentric circles mm-hmm. to partnership, right? And so I think that, you know, there's certain things that, you know, if, if you have the broadest circle that you're looking at that, you know, a pregnancy resource center, yeah. you know, an evangelical Christian and a Roman Catholic and, uh, you know, different yeah. people can work together in this broader circle. And then I think the closer you get and the more defined what you're doing, when you get down to like church planting, yeah. That's where you're going to say, okay, what what are we going to do? We're planting a church together. We need to agree on more. Baptism, the, yeah, we need yeah, to ask these questions things, and answer yeah. these. And so so I, I, I think there's a, 
I think we get it wrong if we only have that tight circle and I can only do things, anything mm-hmm. with people that I absolutely agree on everything. That's probably not good. And it's probably, yeah. it would be unhealthy to try to plant churches with people that you don't agree on some important yeah, things in scripture. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, well, you don't have too much time w- with us. So I do want to get to talk some about your uh, overseas work now. Mm-hmm. Um, how did you feel feel the pull to go overseas? And a, another question that I thought of as you were talking, you mentioned previously about uh, as an international church, one of the things you do when actually locals come to you in order to um, kind of partner with other churches you mentioned in a Sunday school class. I'll clarify that question if you don't get what I'm hinting at. Sure, yeah. Um, well, so answer the first one. Um, yeah, I've I've just always had a burden for overseas ministry. Mm-hmm. Um, since I was in college, I did an overseas trip and and really had my eyes opened to um, the need. You know, when you go overseas and people have never heard the name Jesus, and mm-hmm. that was kind of my experience when I was in college. And so I was really drawn to you know just seeing the need of that. Yeah, and then just seeing the biblical you know uh, command to make disciples of all nations and just you know just some of those. Those biblical ideas mixed with seeing the real world need as I was out there. It just mm-hmm. felt like the Lord was burdening me to do that. I met my wife um, overseas. Oh, she, okay. We grew up two hours from each other in the States, but met uh, <laughs> on the other side of the world. Yeah. And so we both had a passion for it. And, you know, for us, it was almost... So again, a need doesn't necessitate a call. Mm-hmm. There's plenty of needs out there. Yeah. So it doesn't mean everybody's called to it. I do probably think more people are called overseas than are going. Mm. And... I was just living with that reality and thinking through the, honestly, just saying, if, if not us, then who? Yeah. You had right. a burden for it. I had a burden for it. And we were both into it. We were both. Yeah. So, I, I, you need, so you, I mean, that was going to be my next question is, you know, with a wife and kids, yeah. how does it affect your decision-making sure. processes in moving over there? Well, because you probably know so many people where, you know, maybe the husband really wants to do overseas missions, mm-hmm. but the, the wife doesn't. Or vice versa. The wife really yeah. wants to do it and the husband doesn't. And for us, we're both interested our family obviously our families miss us but they were supportive um you know so we 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 said if if not us then who and then another thing honestly that was really impactful for me was reading some of the student volunteer movement stuff from the early 1900s i remember Mm. reading uh there's a one of the early the voices in that movement was robert spear who had a you can find the article online probably it's called a missionary call yeah and one of the really convicting things in that article was him basically saying that by what right do we draw lines of distinction between um, between callings? And so mm-hmm. he, he says, as I'm looking at Scripture, I see we're called to go to the world. Yeah. You don't need any special call to do what God has called us all to do. Yeah, you, he don't, says, you don't need permission to do what he's already commanded. That's right. So he says, if anybody needs a special call, it's to go about your own business. Mm. And so if you, if you want to go about your own business, why not ask God, why, why is the default America unless God gives me a special call to go to the nations. Mm-hmm. Why not have a default of, of go to the nations unless God gives me a special call? And he says, I think it's safer biblically to say, yeah, you, you better get a special call from the Lord to, to do this other thing that maybe he hasn't <laughs> called you to do versus, yeah. you know. And again, there's plenty of nuance that needs to yeah. be in that conversation. I understand that. But yeah. just making the point that that was really helpful for me thinking, yeah, why why do I need to accept this default position of, Mm-hmm. 2.5 kids, white picket fence. Like, why do I accept that? Yeah. Unless God specially called me to that versus this other reality. And so that was that was really big in, in our considering going overseas. Now, that doesn't make it easy. 
Oh my goodness, doesn't make it easy. No. We we wrestled, we struggled. I tried to do a Jonah on the whole thing. I tried yeah. to run away. Um, it was it was uh, it was not an easy process because you're just how did, how did the Lord turn you back from that Jonah attempt? <sighs> it was it was strange. So we uh, we went overseas, or I went overseas. Uh, I, I, for short term trips. Yeah, I would go yeah. every year for a week. So I lived there for two years, came back, seminary yeah. here in Memphis, and I would go every year for a week, take a team of people. Uh, I still remember that there was, there was the night before, we had just had our second daughter, so Kim wasn't going on this trip specifically. So I told her the night before I left, I said, I think this is my last trip to East Asia. I think I'm done. <laughs> and uh, So you're not a prophet. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> exactly. Nor the son of one. And I went to, I was preaching in a living room on mm-hmm. that trip. And uh, the guy who was kind of leading this little living room Sunday morning Bible study type thing yeah. um, asked me to consider coming over and pastoring this church. And it was like, it was just, that was, it was captivating to me yeah. and, and, and felt like the Lord was in it. And it's, but I came back and I mean, we were so happy in our life here. Mm-hmm. We just bought a minivan. <laughs> you know, we, <laughs> we loved our church. We loved yeah. our ministry. We loved our friends. It seemed like the Lord was using us in ministry here and we just didn't want to do it. Mm. And so we literally, we dropped it for about four months. My yeah. wife brought it up to me twice. There's great leadership in the home. My <laughs> wife brought it up to me twice, and I changed the subject oh. over that four-month period. I didn't want to talk about it. I didn't want to think about it. I didn't want to pray about it. And I, the reason is because it, I knew. I was like, as soon as I pray about this, God's going to make me do it, and I don't want to do it. And <laughs> yeah. so I'm just going to not pray about it. <laughs> and so uh, there was four months of that. And then, I, it, I, Seth, I can't explain it. There was a week where we would turn on the TV and the city that we were supposed to go to would be on the TV show. That's kind of crazy. It would be a car commercial and the city skylines in the background. We'd, come, we'd go to First of Ann and there was a, you know, Cole Huffman would mention the country in a sermon. Mm-hmm. We, my wife went to the nursing mother's room at the church and there was an Asian lady in there and my wife said, where are you from? And she said, the country. <laughs> yeah. And my wife said, no way. She said, what city? And she named the city. Oh, yeah. And so that it was it's our- It's kind of weird how the Lord can just use these so little things to prick your conscience. So strange. And I'm not like, you know, I'm not setting out, I'm not one to set out fleece at night and try to, but yeah. I mean, it was just, he was just chasing us down, I think. Yeah. And so that, it was our anniversary. I remember we went out to dinner and we said, I, I think we need to start praying about this. <laughs> and so we did and, and doors just started flying open. It was crazy. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was, just, it was, it was insane. It was, it, it was unmistakable that this is the way the Lord yeah. was leading us. And so, um, so we, we, you know, we went through the process and, and uh, I, I went and did an internship our last year in Memphis mm-hmm. out of Little Rock called Fellowship Associates. Went through Fellowship Associates for a little extra kind of church plant, practical church plant yeah. training, and and then uh, we. I mean, that's there. kind of interesting to think about because I think about the challenges of church planting, and then you have the challenge of church planting in a multi, in a cross cultural setting. Mm-hmm. So, um, what? How do you feel? Like, what's that like? Well, I mean, yeah. So it's it, there. There are challenges there. We were honestly so when we started, it was it was largely some. Uh, the church was a, a lot of Americans were coming to the church. Yeah, it was an international church, which I honestly I wanted more 
I wanted it to be less American. Yeah. So we're very cognizant of that and who we mm-hmm. have on stage, on illustrations we use in sermons. You know, yeah. I constantly have people, I, I want people to give me feedback on that. If I'm using a you know, American football illustration, people are just blanking it. So I, I need people yeah. to pull me back on that. So so we, we're, we're trying to be intentional about that. And so I think once we got there, it, it, it felt, you know, our church co- culture felt very American. Mm-hmm. And so it wasn't that out of the ordinary in that. We've actually tried to make it less American as we've gone along. And so, yeah. um, so that's been, that's been a, a good challenge. And it, it was hard. Our first, our first six months in China were the hardest six months of our lives, yeah. hardest six months of our marriage. I mean, I'm talking daily. My wife's curled up on the bathroom floor crying. Yeah. Um, and I couldn't do anything to help. How did you push through that? What sustained you in that? God's call. So uh, an unwavering knowledge of and commitment to what he called us to do and where he calls us, he's going to provide. So and you just remember, this is where God wants yep. us. And if this is where God's called me, he's going he's gonna to give the grace for us to go through it. Mm-hmm. I, I heard um, Kathy Keller actually used this once, as Tim Keller's wife, uh, that God gives us real grace in real time but he doesn't inject fantasy grace into our imaginations. And I think that's so right. As we think about whatever that thing is in front of us, whether it's a new job or whether it's having another kid or whether it's not having a kid or whether it's the death of a loved one or whatever it may be down the road for us, we're always thinking of that thing devoid of the actual grace that God's going to give us to actually go through it. And so that's where anxiety comes in. When I'm like, man, I can never go through this. I can never do this. But just a, a, a very certain understanding that God is going to sustain us and give us real grace in real time, yeah. though we don't have it in our imaginations, because that's why we have faith. We wouldn't have to have faith if God would he'd give us the warm fuzzies anytime we think about something, and we'd know oh, it's great. And so that was um, clinging to that, and and really being on the same team, mm-hmm. you know. Um, in that season, it wasn't easy, but realizing, hey, as, you know, as a husband and a wife, we're, we're doing this together, and um, we're happy to do it together. Let's, yeah. let's keep going, trying to encourage one another in that. Um, having a church community, it was good that we, were, we weren't lone rangers in a jungle somewhere. Mm-hmm. We had a church community around us that, um, that could help us. And, Did and, they know what you were going through and were praying for you? Yeah. That's yeah, we were pretty open in that yeah. season. Uh, we've been more open after the fact. I don't, I don't know yeah. if we, I don't know if we were that open, but you know that was we. I think we needed that season mm-hmm. because we were coming out of seminary. We were coming out of uh, a roles here in Memphis where we were, and we were the sought out ones. Mm-hmm. We were the disciplers. Yeah, we were the the ones with the training, and we got to a place where we needed help for everything. Mm-hmm. We were no longer from self-sufficiency to the complete opposite. And if you can imagine my wife, I I had some language ability over there. My wife had not studied the language at all. So she literally, going from self-sufficient, minivan, great city, good community, great ministry, to being in a place where she can't go out of the apartment. Yeah. Yeah. Because she might not be able to get find her way back. Mm. And so that was just a, that was a humbling time for both of us to go from being the sought out ones to being the ones seeking all of the help. And so, mm-hmm. I, and and it, obviously the Lord is greatly using that. I think in our hearts and our lives, we needed that brokenness yeah. and that season. Takes you down enough. It does. It absolutely <laughs> does. Um, and then and then He uses it for you to walk with people who are 
about to walk the same road that you walked. Yeah. And so, so that was huge for us. Um, but yeah, so it wasn't easy uh, by any stretch, but, um, but that's why we always tell people you need to, if you're coming over, commit to two or three years. Yeah. Everybody would leave at the end of one year. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like do a, you know, commit for a couple of years because you're going to, you're going to go through the curve. So steep. Yep, exactly. Gotcha. So that was a real rough period. Uh, what's, what's been something that's just been real and it might be in the same context, but what's been something that's been real in, encouraging and energizing to you mm-hmm. in your ministry over there? Yeah. You know, one of our goals in being there is to see the our, our church. We always say our church is made up of the missionary and marketplace community. Yeah. So we have uh, workers who are there with missions organizations or whatever, and then we have people who are, you know, it's a it's a global city. So IBM, mm-hmm. FedEx, all the automotive companies, engineers, teachers. You just have all these. So we just call missionary marketplace. And for a long time, there was no healthy church for those international people to go to. In yeah. our city, and so what you have is you have uh, marketplace workers who are having all kinds of stuff thrown at them, and business deals, and the stresses of of the work life there, yeah. marriages that are crumbling. But they don't have community. They don't have elders shepherding them. They don't have uh, the word of God being taught to them, and so they're 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 going to be uh, unhealthy while they're there, and they're going to leave as soon as they can. Yeah, which. You're talking about a Christian worker for Ford. What a great opportunity for him to be a missionary or for her to be a missionary mm-hmm. in that context. Well, instead of that, you've got people who are, who are just falling apart and getting out of town as quickly yeah, as possible. Burning out and breaking yep. down. You see the same thing with the missionary community. Yeah. Unhealthy while you're there, leave as quick as you can. And so one of the burdens for us has been to have a healthy church where people are being fed, people are being shepherded, people are hearing God's word, people are hearing the gospel, people are seeing how the gospel connects to everyday life. And through that, they're healthier while they're there and they're staying longer. Mm-hmm. So I could I could never talk to a local in my entire ministry over there. Now, that's not true. I, I do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But let's say I didn't. I still have a vision for being there so that our church can strengthen those communities so that those people who are reaching hundreds of thousands of people can can be there longer and healthier while they're there. Yeah. So it's that's equipping. Re- it's a vision of equipping the saints for the work of the ministry, yep. not doing the work of the ministry for that's the right. saints. There should be a Bible verse about that. I think there might yeah, okay. be. <laughs> um, so that's really encouraging. You know, I, I feel like honestly, over the last year, I feel like so this is my our, my fifth year as the senior pastor of this church. Mm-hmm. I feel like I'm finally starting to figure a couple things out, <laughs> which I'll probably look back in 10 years and think that was a silly yeah. statement to make. That or things are about to change. <laughs> That's right, have to yeah. Figure it out again. Yeah, so uh, one of the things I've always said has been one of my weaknesses over the first four years. If you had asked me every summer if we had sat down and done an interview and said, hey, where are you weak? Every year I would say it, that I, I do a lot of crisis counseling as a pastor, Yeah. and I do a lot of trying to get to know our church broadly as a pastor. Mm-hmm. I wasn't doing any building leaders. Yeah, I wasn't doing any feeding hungry men. And knowing you, that's like one of your oh, big yeah. passions. Yeah, and so that was hard. Yeah, that now and and I had to do the like I mean, there's just crisis counseling that had you to be done. Put out fires. Yeah. yeah, I'm putting out fires. I'm trying to get to know the church. I'm trying to get to know non Christians who are coming to our church. But I was just constantly frustrated that I didn't have hungry guys that I was getting together regularly with. Yeah. I'm getting together regularly with guys, but it's so that their marriage doesn't, they don't get divorced. Yeah. You know, it's, it's like preventing the negative. It's not pushing into yeah. the positive. This is the first year I feel like has been, that tide has, has turned. 
Um, yeah. And so that's, man, I just praise it God for that. It took five years to yeah, get, that's right. get there in yeah. an international center. Yeah, the fifth year it finally hit. So I've been meeting with a lot more kind of future leaders, mm-hmm. um, leading some more studies with, with some hungry men. Uh, been able to see my wife do the same thing. She started yeah. a, a women's study last. She's she's ahead of me. She she's been two years on top of it. So which is par for the course, I think. <laughs> and so she started a women's study last year and had. Uh, she told me she was like I hope like maybe six or eight women, mm-hmm. thirty women. Oh wow! And that's great. and from coming driving an hour and a half. Yeah. You know, people are coming from all around the city. So that's been great. That's been gone for a couple of years now. She's actually handed most of it off, the hosting, mm-hmm. the teaching. And so she just kind of shows up now. And, yeah, uh, that's so that's great. been really cool. So those have been encouraging. Uh, we have an internship program. And I, I, again, the first year we did the internship program, local, local guys who want to be pastors. And the first year, I didn't do a great job with our intern. Um, the last, uh, the second year, I, maybe a little bit better, but this, this past year, I feel like was, was able to pour into, to our yeah. intern a lot more and, um, really prepare him to plant a church in the near future. So that's been encouraging. Um, and then going back to the, so the vision of why we're there, right? Missionary marketplace. That's where I was going with that. I think was to say that we've, we've just seen so many people. I could give you lists of people who are still in our city who they would tell you this. They would say, I would not be here if it weren't for this church. Mm-hmm. I, we would have left after our first year because it was so awful. But because yeah. there's a community and because we can grow here, there have been people who have left and have come back. There have been people who, uh, inter- uh, marketplace workers whose companies yeah. have said, okay, we'll move you back to your job in Australia. And they've said, no, oh, I, I think we'll stay in Shanghai. Yeah. And so that's just been a, a great, uh, thing to see and to experience, it's and so a testimony that one of your objectives is being met. Yep, that's great. Yeah, so so what is it, what do you think the future holds for you? Man, that's a great question. Um, the the heat has been turned up uh, where we live, um, just with with uh, religious activity and things like that. So we'll, we'll see kind of what happens there. But other than that, we're just going to we're going to keep plowing the field. You know, we we're going to continue just being faithful in what we're doing and trying to um, build this church as we're able to plant other churches. I mean, that's what we're, that's what we're giving ourselves to. We're, we're kind of, we're, we're somewhat of a less is more approach. Mm-hmm. And so I'm not going to paint a vision for anybody of, uh, of we have a desire to plant 10,000 churches in our region yeah. in the next three years or whatever. Our, our goal is if, if, man, if we can, if we can plant a couple healthy churches with a plurality of elders who are preaching the gospel and teaching God's word over the next couple of years. That's a huge win because those churches are sustainable. They're going mm-hmm. to, they're going to last. They're going to be healthy. They're going to be there long-term. So that's really our passion and our desire. So really, I mean, as far as, <laughs> I mean, I can paint you a vision for being in my city and for yeah. what's to come for that. But as far as, Hey, what are you going to do? I've got a pretty boring vision. It's <laughs> I'm going to keep preaching the word and, mm-hmm you know, equipping the saints to do the work of ministry. And then as the Lord allows, let's plant more churches who are going to do more of that and just keep keep pursuing that goal. If somebody came to you and was wanting to get into ministry or pursue ministry, um, either just in general or in an international context like you're in, uh, what do you think the best piece of advice you could give them would be? Hmm. Or just what advice has been helpful to you? Coming up with the best is too much pressure. <laughs> <laughs> that, is, that is a lot of pressure. Yeah, so for someone being involved in ministry in general, 
I mean, it, it, again, this it's kind of a, it, you know, it depends on the person, depends on the context, depends on their background. I'm often talking people out of ministry who mm-hmm. have really good skills and really good um, jobs in industries. They're in boardrooms that I can't yeah. get into. They're in, and they're invited to dinner parties that I'm not invited to. I'm often talking to those people out of full-time occupational ministry. And the reason and is... you need those people to support. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's right. But I'm just like, you know, because yeah. you'll have people who will come and say, hey, I want to go into full-time ministry. And you say, well, why? And they say, well, I'm, I really like evangelism and discipleship. And you say, well, welcome to being a Christian. Yeah, That's what Christians do. There, there has to be more to full-time ministry than... A, a call to that, mm-hmm. and so I, I, I would want to to um, so that that's maybe the opposite of your question. I'm talking to people out of ministry right yeah. now, um, but yeah, you know, because there is there is a there is a balance there, right? Because not everybody that says they want to go into to ministry is is somebody who should, yeah. right? Or even overseas, and not anybody everybody who's in ministry should be. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. So I, you know, I, I would point people to David Frazier and his uh, Mission Smart book for people that want to go overseas mm-hmm. and and thinking through kind of a checklist of are you prepared and what does that look like to be prepared? I think that could be a helpful resource to people. So yeah, so so um, yeah, but I think for people who are desirous to go into ministry, I th- I think being um, being equipped, what does it look like to be equipped to do whatever the ministry is that you want to do? So again, mm-hmm. it depends. If someone wants to go to be, do a campus evangelism with a parachurch organization, that's going to be a different level of equipping than somebody says, "I want, I want to plant churches," and I want yeah. to, you know. So you need to, you need to be equipped for the tasks that you're doing. So have, have godly people around you in your church who are um, who know you, who love you, who can speak truth into your life. I think, I think we too quickly bypass the role of the local church in mm. sending and in, in assessing people towards yeah. the, the question you're asking. So for people who want to go, and so if somebody comes and says, hey, I, I want to go plant churches in East Asia, uh, I might ask, well, has your church made you an elder? Mm-hmm. And if not, then but you're going to go make yourself an elder mm. when your church hasn't made you an elder. And there may be reasons for that, but yeah. l- let's have that conversation. Um would people around you um, kind of be in favor of, of the vision of what you're going to go to do? And what? So I think there, I would lean into the local church to answer that question for people of, of fitness for it, of what training would look like, uh, what opportunities would be the wisest to pursue. So that's probably, that's probably the way I would answer that is to not answer that and tell people to, <laughs> and tell people to, to lean ask in. your church. Yeah. That. Like yeah. lean into your elders and, and, and do that, um, and, and get their wisdom and, and their counsel of, of what you should do. And so, uh, I know you need to run. So, uh, just, well, one last question I'll ask is, uh, if somebody's in the just transitioned crying on the bathroom floor stage of ministry, what words would you give to them? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, Christ is sufficient. He uh, he knows where you're at. He sees where you're at. You know, I just think of of um, you know Elijah by the by the brook, and he sends the the ravens just enough for each day. Mm. But he knows where you are. He cares about where you are, even if it doesn't feel like it. Even if you yeah. don't sense it. And he can he can send the ravens to give you just what you need for today, and you can and you can trust him for that. Yeah, 
Thanks so much, Jason. Appreciate your time and uh, speaking with us. Take care, brother. Thanks for having me. If this podcast has been encouraging to you, we'd love to hear from you. Drop us a line at survivingministrypodcast at gmail.com. Until next time, congratulations. You survived this podcast.